0: Good morning, church. It's a joy and a privilege for us to be with you, our sending church. Uh, you have supported us, you have kept up with us, you have worked alongside of us. Most importantly, you have prayed for us for these last 12 years, and there aren't enough words for us to express our affections for you for that. Uh, this is our first time to be here since the merger. And so we know so many of you, uh, but we're excited to get to meet so many more of you. And I'm looking forward to this cookout time afterwards where we can just kind of get to know some of you a little bit more. We're so excited about what God is doing in and through this church. And of course, it is an honor and a privilege to be able to preach on this day that we are celebrating 20 years of Jerry and Karen's ministry in this church. You know, there's very few examples of that kind of commitment in modern life. Um, One of Jerry's favorite TV shows, uh, Seinfeld. I hope I'm not outing anything by revealing that. Um, There's this scene in one of the episodes where Jerry uh, and Elaine find out that some friends are getting divorced. And Jerry quips um, a joke that I bet that even half the audience didn't even get. Uh, Yeah, you know, three years is a long time to be married. And 20 years is a long time to serve in this local expression of the body of Christ through many joys and trials. There are two things that I know well about Jerry that make this assignment very uncomfortable for me this morning. Um, One, he does not like to be the center of attention. And two, he does not give up the pulpit on a whim, especially when the Lord has given him a sermon to preach. So, brother, I appreciate you not tackling me. And I want to throw whoever idea this was under the bus and just say it was not me. So, At the same time, 1 Timothy Chapter 5, verse 17 says, as Nathan reminded us a moment ago, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six says that if, one mem- uh, that if one member of the body is honored, all rejoice together. So it is right for us to do this this morning. Uh, you want to be biblical, don't you? So. Personally, I'm deeply indebted. To the role that Jerry has played in mentoring me in my very first mentor, uh, ministry assignment, he taught me things that have guided me these last 17 years since we first met. Uh, a few of which that I hope to share with you as we this morning as we walk through Acts chapter 20. Uh, and so, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Go ahead and turn there this morning, and we are going to read Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Luke writes, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the very first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink Remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Now, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit be present here this morning to illuminate the truths of your word, to transform our hearts. Father, may your spirit be our true teacher this morning. Father, show us what it means to serve in a way that we might commend our service to those that we serve and that they may in turn do likewise as the gospel steadily goes out from North Atlanta to the nations. Father, we thank you for your servants, Jerry and Karen and their family, how many years that they have lived many of the qualities that we see in this text that we just read this morning, how they've lived those things before us. And Father, in honoring their faithfulness, may it be Christ who is truly glorified this morning. This is in his name we pray. Amen. What are the characteristics of a ministry that is worthy of being commended? That's the question for this morning. What does a ministry like that look like? And isn't commending a ministry kind of prideful or or boastful? I remember as a young Christian when um, I would read uh, Paul's words, for example, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, being a little bit disturbed when he says, for example, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I would think about my own sins and, and my own failings. And I would wonder how anybody could get to the point in their walk with the Lord where they could say something like that where they could say do it like I do it. The key to understanding texts like the one that we're looking at today is that Paul doesn't commend uh, his ministry to his own credit. Rather he knows that anything worth commending about his ministry is the work of Christ in him so that it's all to Jesus's credit. I think we make a mistake sometimes holding up Paul as some sort of inimitable example. This kind of uh, you know he's just a little less holy than jesus he's just too far beyond us to relate to him uh, paul was a sinner and he had the same weaknesses that you and i have i mean sure he is a singularly unique individual and he wrote half of our new testament and none of us can say that about ourselves but at the same time he could get he could be petty he could get angry seemingly stumble and a lack of trust but all the same his Example of ministering faithfully in the power of the Spirit is one that he thought, at least, that the Ephesian elders could learn from and imitate. And so the same is true for us today. And that's why we're looking at this passage. So that's what I want to do this morning as we move through Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38 is pull out some of the marks that characterize Paul's ministry and made it worthy of commending to others as a model. And I also want to point out some specific ways that we've seen these things characterized in, in Jerry and Karen's ministry here. Uh, one thing that I did want to say is I um, have I heard that Luke recently preached a sermon with 30 points, uh, which I'm guessing that he imagines as some kind of record for this church um, that he's quite proud of. So, you know, it is quite a feat. But lest that be an occasion for pride in his life, I've identified 32 characteristics in this text <laughs> That make for 32 points in today's sermon. One to beat Luke's record, and one more to make him despair of ever attempting to challenge it again. So, I commend imitating me as I humble our brother Luke. I don't know where you are, but I love you. If you looked at your watch just now, uh, don't worry, we'll move through most of these pretty quickly. So, in Acts chapter 20, Paul has come down from Troas uh, in a hurry. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he wants to arrive in time for Pentecost... But there's something very important that he needs to do along the way. He wants to visit the elders of the church in Ephesus that he has been serving with his whole heart for three years. He wants to encourage them. He wants to exhort them. But he knows that things could get sticky if he goes to Ephesus. I mean, for one thing, all the believers there know him, could end up getting stuck. Opportunities for great ministry kind of reminds me of times that we've been in a Central Asian person's house until well past midnight uh, and able to get away and I'm, you know, 10 o'clock go to sleep kind of person. The other problem is that is those little guys that were making the Artemis statues, if you remember from just a couple chapters back, um, who probably won't be so excited to see him again. So he decides to meet the Ephesian elders at the nearby harbor town of Miletus. It's a little more than a day's walk, uh, to speak to them and to bid them farewell. And he reminds the brothers of how he has served them and the church. And it's in this speech that we see Paul commending his own ministry. The first characteristic of a commendable ministry that we see in this passage is that faithfulness is modeled. Look at verse 18. Paul says how we lived among you. Paul didn't depend on his preaching and teaching alone, but he identified with the people as he lived among them and he spent time with them there's an example even in this chapter if you go back a few verses of him spending time with people late into the night in troas if you remember that passage when uh, uh, Eutyches falls out the window paul invested time a faithful shepherd he knows the sheep and he knows their needs and he lives the implications of the gospel before them modeling faithfulness Second, he serves the Lord. Verse 19, Paul ministered to the people that he encountered, whether in Ephesus or elsewhere, but he ultimately did it as to the Lord and, and not for their praise. In Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24, work uh, with your whole heart as if working for the Lord, not for men. When a need arises, his first thought Does not go to how he may excuse himself from meeting that need. What have I got to do today? I'm not sure I can go do that. Rather, how he can be set about meeting the need. His default mode is servant-heartedness. Third is humility. Humility. Saul the Pharisee had been a prideful person, but the gospel had humbled him by exposing sin in his life and had made him a debtor to God's grace and to his mercy. And so it is with the faithful shepherd. He is willing to stoop low. To follow the example of our Savior who washed the disciples' feet is humble. Fourth, a commendable ministry is tearful. Again, verse 19. But you see it also again in verse 31. Paul twice in this passage references his own tears. A faithful shepherd has a tender heart and is emotionally invested in the lives of the sheep. He weeps when a couple in his church decides there in his office that they're going to get a divorce against all of his counsel. He longs for the young man who sowed such promise early in discipleship only to walk away from the Lord and reject the gospel. He longs for that person to repent and to return to faith in Christ. He's broken when a church member buries a loved one. When my dad passed away last August, Jerry and Karen and Luke drove three hours to Knoxville for the funeral and shared in my tears. I know many of you have had similar experiences. Five, a commendable ministry is marked by trials. See that in, again in verse 19. I don't like this one, <laughs> but it's part of the deal. Paul had been rejected in the synagogue after months of pleading with and proclaiming, the gospel, pleading with the people there. He had incited a riot among the Artemis uh, artisans there. And these are only the things that happened in Ephesus. I'm not going to go through the whole list of things, but many of you are familiar with all of the trials that Paul would face in his ministry. These last 20 years have seen its fair share of those, haven't they? Withering criticism leading to waves of self-doubt, ruptures in relationships, The deaths of saints, especially young people, which caused us to wonder what God was doing. A young man that we dearly love doing the unimaginable. A faithful shepherd walks with the sheep through painful trials. He offers encouragement to steady them. And he offers them the assurance of God's unending goodness, even when we can't see it. Which is too often the case. Six, In verses 20 and 27, we see that a commendable ministry is courageous. Paul says, I did not shrink back. Brothers and sisters, our culture is a mess. I don't live in a day in and day out, but I live in one pretty similar to it. The pressure to make compromises, to conform to its orthodoxy, to counterfeit um, tolerance, this orthodoxy of counterfeit tolerance, Conformed to that is tremendous, maybe even greater than at any previous time in history. A faithful shepherd has deep conviction of the authority of the Word of God and proclaims it winsomely, yes, but courageously, with a commitment to truth and regardless of the consequences. Seven. And that leads to our next characteristic, faithful, a commendable ministry, is proclamation focused. He says, I did not shrink back from what? From declaring. From declaring. Paul followed the pattern that Jesus himself had established in the Gospels and modeled proclamation of the Gospel to believers and unbelievers alike, whether he's in the synagogues or in the Areopagus or even in prison. And even in this passage here in Chapter 20 of Acts, he's kind of giving a sermon of sorts. Number eight, a commendable ministry is edifying. I did not shrink back from declaring to you what? Anything that was profitable. The faithful shepherd does not proclaim courageously in order to crush the sheep, to give them a truth bomb that crushes them. He doesn't proclaim courageously to uh, advance um, uh, well from the left a woke agenda or from the right in order to own the libs rather a faithful shepherd proclaims courageously for the purpose of edifying the sheep by continually unveiling to them the riches and the treasures of the gospel 9 a commendable ministry involves teaching in public for the benefit of the whole church and for the benefit even of the greater community. We see Paul teaching publicly at Ephesus there in the hall of Tyrannus. But 10, this is number 10, it also involves teaching in private, doing the labor day in and day out of making disciples in one-on-one settings and also in small group settings. Number 11, a commendable ministry is evangelistic. Verse 21, the faithful minister... The faithful shepherd testifies to the gospel of God in Christ. And he longs for all people to embrace Jesus as their joy, as their passion, as their treasure, and as their life. Closely tied with this is 12. It's missionary. That phrase to Jews and Gentiles is not a throwaway phrase. When Barnabas and Saul set out from Antioch on their first missionary journey... In Acts chapter 13, landing there in Cyprus, they could not have imagined how the Spirit of God would move and power among the Gentiles after the conversion of that Roman proconsul there, Sergius Paulus, on the island of Cyprus. God opened wide the doors of salvation to the Gentiles, which is, means to most of us who are here this morning, opened wide the doors of salvation to all peoples, And this reality that Paul calls the mystery of the gospel, that God has brought salvation in Christ to the Gentiles, it becomes the animating feature of his whole life and ministry. I've seen the heart for all peoples here at home, but have also had the joy of traveling overseas, as many of you have, alongside Jerry and Karen in Central Asia and with Jerry in India. Um, At one point I thought we were going to die together doing that on some hairpin turns in the Nilgiri Mountains. And I've seen their willingness to cross barriers to see the gospel advance among the nations and the support that they have given those who have planted their lives in these places. Number 13, a commendable ministry is committed to gospel clarity and calls people to respond to the gospel. And this we see in verses 21 and 24. 24. The faithful minister not only proclaims the message that saves the gospel, that God is the loving and rightful creator of the world, that human beings have willingly rejected God's rightful authority and rebelled against him through their sin, and that they have incurred God's just judgment and the penalty of eternal death and hell, that God Being rich in mercy and grace has sent his son Jesus to live in a a perfect life in our place, satisfying the demands of the law, and to die on the cross in our place, taking our just judgment for our sin upon himself, and purchasing for us forgiveness from sin, and that God raised Jesus from the dead that we too could be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But he also proclaims, he gets that part right, but he also proclaims that the proper response To that message leads to conversion. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is clear about what the gospel is. The only message that has the hope of salvation and the power to save. Number 14, a commendable ministry strives to be spirit constrained and spirit led. Look with me at verse 23. Paul depended on the work of the spirit in his life to guide his steps, to give him wisdom as he went along the way. It's difficult to know exactly what that looked like in Paul's life, whether it involved direct revelation, for example, Spirit speaking to him. But all of us who are in Christ and delighting in him can testify to the experience of the Spirit stirring in us both godly desire to do what we ought to do and godly warning to avoid doing what we ought not do faithful shepherd doesn't depend on his own wisdom, his own creativity, but depends instead on the work of God's Spirit in his life transforming him. Number 15, a commendable ministry treasures Christ above all else. Paul was evidently concerned what was going to await him when he went to Jerusalem. But knowing that the Spirit of God was leading him there, he would press on. So why would he do that? Surely he didn't have some kind of martyr complex, right? There's no indication that he thought that going through afflictions and trials and imprisonment was going to be fun somehow. That's not why he went. Why did he do it? Because he simply treasured Christ above all things. And he wanted deeply to be obedient to him. Tied along with that is long-suffering. That's number 16 willing to endure affliction and prison whatever may come and to do it for the long haul certainly we paul had seen by this point his share of that and he would see even more he would even see death and so 17 strives to be self-denying and brave in the face of death verse 24 again i do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself it echoes what Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Again, it's not you know, going about actively seeking martyrdom. That's just dumb. He's not doing that. Rather, Paul has simply resolved that he's willing to face even death for the gospel's sake, no matter what will come his way. He's made the same calculation that the missionary Jim Elliott made. Um, the missionary who was martyred in Ecuador. He's no fool. You've heard this probably. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We live in an age where all of us, and especially, and I'm including myself in this, especially we as Americans, we're quick to plead our rights. But the surpassing worth of Christ should relativize, relativize all of our other concerns. Everything else is cast into the shadow. Number 18, a commendable ministry perseveres to the end. Verse 24, if only I may finish my course. Paul here, he picks up this metaphor that he's used in his letters and lots of other places. This athletic metaphor, this idea of coming to the end of a race, finishing. And he wanted to finish well. We've seen way too much wreckage in the American church in recent years. Affairs, abuse, apostasy. Christian celebrity culture is part of the problem and it's attracted way too many people who are motivated by status and are motivated by pride. One of the things that happens to those of us that are serving in vocational ministry as you grow older is you you quit having heroes or at least your calculation of what makes for a hero changes. Eloquent preaching is unimpressive. But may God give us Instead, ordinary preachers who faithfully proclaimed the word decade after decade in relative obscurity. I love uh, when people ask me who my favorite podcast to listen to is and they have no idea who I'm talking about. You do. Number 19. A commendable ministry is pilgrim. Paul's pilgrim mentality sheds light on the overall intentionality. with which he approaches his ministry. Let me say that again. His pilgrim mentality sheds light on the intentional way that he goes about doing ministry. He recognizes that time is precious. We're not promised tomorrow. Verse 25, Paul tells the elders that he won't see them again. And those, the text says, are Paul's most painful words to these Ephesian elders. Because they love him. In 2020, I was banned from re-entering Central Asia, uh, the Central Asian country, not the whole region, um, if I left, as many of you know. Our last eight months there, we, uh, when we knew that we were going to have to leave, I kept returning to this chapter, actually, again and again. But especially to the weight of verse 25. In fact, our family stood there um, amid the ruins of the town of Miletus. Uh, where these Ephesian elders met. You can actually go there today and stand right on the harbor. Um, it's, there's not water on the harbor anymore. It's kind of filled in with dirt. You have to use your imagination, but it's there. And we read this passage together in Turkish the week before we left. The Lord used this passage in Acts chapter 20, a short time frame that we had to clarify how we might faithfully use the remaining time that we would have. So, Together with four brothers, I invested deeply in leadership development and theological education. Everything that we did had intention and was sober with the realization of what was coming. Because Ginger and I, we wanted to do everything that we could to prepare these people for our absence. We weren't going to be there anymore so that they could carry on the work. And I think it was our most productive time that we were in Central Asia. I'm ashamed that I didn't always approach the ministry with intentionality. So why I'm sharing that story. It... Realizing that your time is limited, realizing that you are a pilgrim passing through, it brings weight. It brings a weight of intentionality. makes you realize, I've really got to use this time well. Number 20. A commendable ministry strives to be guiltless. Verse 26. Here, Paul uses language from Ezekiel 33, the idea of the watchman on the wall. Paul says that he's innocent of the blood of all. Those who shepherd God's people will be held to a higher account. James 3, 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So how could Paul say that he was innocent? Well, that's because of number 21, which is that a commendable ministry is whole counsel of God-centered. Commendable ministry is whole counsel of God-centered. Look again at verse 27. You can't boil disciple-making down to teaching obedience to a few biblical commands, as some attempt to do. Faithful shepherds take care to teach all that Jesus commanded, which means the whole counsel of God. Jesus' true words in your Bible are not just the red letters. It's all the black ones, too. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for making disciples, 2 Timothy 3.16. It seems kind of doubtful, but it's possible, I don't know, that Paul would have had the opportunity in those three years to go through a verse-by-verse explanation of the entire Old Testament during his three years in Ephesus. But what Paul likely meant is that he sought to teach the fullness of God's revelation there. When I think of Jerry's ministry... I think this characteristic stands out perhaps more than any other. If you've been here for all of the past 20 years, you've walked through Acts, Galatians, first and second Thessalonians, first, second and third. John, Luke, Colossians, first Samuel, Romans, Nehemiah, Philemon. John? Wow. That's a lot. Ecclesiastes, first and Second Timothy, first and second Peter. Habakkuk, Titus, Psalms, Ephesians. You're currently going through Genesis. Plus, you've had the sprinkling of just about every other book in the Bible. And that's if you've been here on Sunday mornings. If you come to Wednesday night and you hear him, um, you've gotten to go through even more books. You've even gotten to taste, I don't know what it's like now, but his questionable eschatology. Um, I'm kidding. (laughs) Brother, you have made us love the Word of God more. Yeah, just as you love it, and we're all grateful to that for eternity. Uh, 22, a commendable ministry is exhortative. Verse 28, Paul exhorts these elders to remain on watch and not to let their guard down. Like a good coach, he reminds them of their duty to the team. They're to watch for themselves personally, and they're to watch for each other mutually, guarding each other from error and from pride. And for the church from abuse. That's their role. That's their job. Number 23, faithful shepherds love the church and care for her. Some who minister today see the church as an obstacle. Something that they need to go around. Maybe you don't even need it at all. Some go so far as to despise it. Some are confused, people in ministry, about what the church even is. But it is the church for whom Jesus died And the church that is God's appointed means for accomplishing His mission in the world. It is the agent of mission, it is the means of mission, and it is the fruit of mission. That's why we go, to see churches planted among all peoples. Faithful shepherds dedicate themselves to building up the church and caring for her well. And part of caring for her involves being protective. That's number 24. and verse 29, Paul charges the elders with protecting the church from wolves who will seek to destroy the flock with false teaching. He admonishes, that's number 25, that these wolves will arise even from within the flock and will try to destroy the church, leading people astray. In recent years, again, getting back to just the tone of our culture, we have become so concerned with warnings being perceived as divisive There's a place for that kind of critique. We don't want to be divisive for the sake of being divisive, truly. Our public cultural discourse, especially in the media and on social media, has become so harsh, so abrasive. At the same time, a faithful shepherd still has the responsibility of warning the sheep. He's got to call out false teaching, and he's got to call it out by name. A negative warning it may hurt a person's feelings for a season but false teaching will kill their soul forever. Number 26. A commendable ministry is entrusting and we see that in verse 32. Faithful shepherd does not rely on cheap gimmicks. He doesn't rely on manipulative tactics, he doesn't rely on formulas or prepackaged solutions and recipes. He doesn't even rely on his own talents and his own creativity. Instead, he knows, as 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, that it is God who gives the increase. And he trusts the ordinary means. The power of the Word of God quickened by the Spirit of God to do the work of transformation. And he limits himself to faithfully making a way for both. For the Word of God and the Spirit of God to do the work. Number 27, a commendable ministry is contented. We see that in verse 33. A faithful shepherd does not do the work of ministry for material gain, but is content with what God supplies. Paul's motivation was kept for the advance of the gospel and not for what he could gain by selling the gospel. Trust that we see the contrast with this approach. And many of the ministries that our culture holds up as successful Number 28, a faithful shepherd takes responsibility for his own needs. You see that in verse 34. He gl- he, this doesn't mean he doesn't you know, receive support for what he's doing and receive it gladly, but he doesn't have an, um, an entitlement attitude. He doesn't expect people to give him money and possessions just because he's a pastor. Or he's in vocational ministry. At the same time, he is a provider. That's Number 29. He looks for those, he looks out for those that he labors with. And he even puts their needs above his own. Number 30, he's hard working. See that in verse 35. Paul talks about hard work. This is not the same thing as being a workaholic. As having no boundaries. As sacrificing the well-being of your family. But the faithful shepherd is not lazy. He gives himself fully to the work. He allows himself to spend and to be spent for the sake of the gospel. Number 31, a commendable ministry is generous. Faithful shepherd models sharing with those who have left, but often does this in quiet acts that nobody else knows about or sees. And then number 32, a commendable ministry is prayerful. The last thing that Paul does before he boards the ship, before he says goodbye, is that he kneels there with the Ephesian elders and he prays with them. It's not an aberration, this is not like some sort of thing that Paul's doing here for the first time. I mean, in his letters we see many examples of prayers that he prayed for the peoples that he had served among, that he still cared for. Paul's ministry was saturated with prayer. Because he knew that it was God who was the one that was doing the work. A faithful shepherd knows that he serves at the pleasure of the master. It's a word Jerry uses for Jesus most often, I think. That's what our role is. Jesus is our master, he's the one who directs us. And he's quick to take any need, any burden, any fear, any hope that he has for his own life, for the church, before. The one who can do all things and who does all things well. Brothers and sisters, these are the characteristics of a commendable ministry that we see in Acts 20. And the one who teaches according to them, who models these characteristics before the flock, before the body, who lives by them in his own life, who cultivates them in the lives of others and um, the ministries of the ones that he's equipping to serve does a good work it's what a 17th century churchman richard baxter gets at in his excellent little book probably my favorite one on pastoring he says this we are responsible for the care of christ's little ones if we neglect to take food for ourselves we will starve them we will soon be visible in their weakness and inability to carry out their various duties if we let our love decline, we're not likely to raise theirs. If we decrease our holy care and fear, it will appear in our preaching. If the matter does not show it, the manner will. If we feed on unwholesome food, either errors or fruitless controversies, our hearers will likely end up the worst for it. However, if we abound in faith, love, and zeal, it will overflow to the refreshing of our congregations. And it will appear in the increase of the same virtues in them. Brothers and sisters, I know that you are so very grateful for being served by brothers such as Pastor Jerry, who do just that, who abound in faith and love and zeal. May we never take these expectations for granted, nor cease to encourage those who labor in the Lord to model them before us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so very grateful to you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us. That it teaches us what to expect from those who are given the calling to lead us. That it is an office of humility. That it is an office of self-denial. That it is an office of love and care and concern and protection. Father, we thank you for the, those that you have made shepherds in this church, the elders. We pray that they would feed themselves and so be able to feed the flock, that they would uh, live in such a manner as to not lord their role over them as Peter talks about, but rather that they would with all humility serve the flock. We thank you especially this morning for our brother Jerry, our sister Karen, for their family, and for 20 years of faithful service here. Father, we commit it all to you and for your glory and give you thanks because of the work that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.